3: Hi there, I'm Dave, Content Director for the History Extra podcast. I hope you don't mind this little interruption. We've welcomed a lot more listeners to our podcast over the past few months, and we're delighted and really grateful to have you on board. Thing is, we'd love it if a few more of you headed over to our website, historyextra.com, to check out some of our content there. We have thousands of features covering a wide variety of historical topics on the site, from ancient Rome, through medieval Europe, and right up to the 20th century. We've just released some exclusive podcasts onto the site too. These are recordings of lectures given at our 2019 History Weekends, and they include talks from Dan Jones on the Crusades, Yanina Ramirez on Medieval Wonder Women, Nicola Tallis on Margaret Beaufort, and Peter Caddick-Adams on D-Day. Just head over to historyextra.com forward slash exclusive hyphen podcasts to have a listen. I hope you enjoy them. And I hope you carry on listening to this podcast too. Thanks again.
0: Hello and welcome to the History Extra podcast from BBC History Magazine, Britain's best-selling history magazine. I'm Ellie Cawthorn. In the latest In Our Everything You Wanted to Know series, we're answering your questions on Britain's battlefields. The expert this time round is Julian Humphreys, and he's talking to BBC History Magazine content director David Musgrove.
3: We are back once again with our Everything You Want to Know podcast series. Today we're talking about British battlefields and I am joined uh, by our guest expert Julian Humphreys historian and battlefield guide Julian Humphreys is development officer of the Battlefields Trust a UK charity he's a regular contributor to BBC History magazine BBC History Revealed magazine and indeed our website historyextra.com and he's the author of numerous books including Clash of Arms 12 English Battles and Enemies at the Gate English Castles Under Siege from the 12th century to the Civil War so Julian welcome Thank Thank you for joining us. Hello there, Dave. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you on this podcast. You are, of course, uh, a, a, a noted expert in <laughs> British battles and battlefields, so um, so I'm sure you will be able to deal with all the questions that we've got. Uh, I'm ready for battle. I'm
4: ready, ready for, for battle. battle.
3: Excellent. Yeah. Uh, just uh, just uh, a quick reminder on the rules of engagement. See what I've done there? I like um, that. So uh, what we've done here is we've asked for questions from our readers, listeners and uh, and users on our websites and uh, and other agencies aspects of the BBC History magazine presence, Um, so we've asked people to tell us what they really want to know about British battles and battlefields, and we have also uh, looked at uh, the most popular internet search engines. So uh, we've got loads of questions which we are just going to hammer through. So the first one uh, is a really simple one, Uh, I just want a straight answer, no messing around. Uh, This is a popular internet search. How many battles
4: have taken place on British soil? You didn't expect me to give a straight answer to that, did you? <laughs> um, well, let's start with one thing, and that is that in England and Scotland, there are 90 registered battlefields. Now, they're places where we know where they are. They were significant historically, and they've got something to preserve. But that's only the registered battlefields, the ones that we know where they are. You know, before the Norman Conquest, if you look at something like the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, I reckon that there's about 300 battles that are mentioned in there. And then, of course, what defines a battle? So the nearest battle to me is Cheriton in Hampshire, but all around that were little skirmishes and other fights, so at Winchester, Salisbury, Alton, Romsey and what have you. So what's a battle? And if you look, for example, at, at Wales, where they have uh, the, the government there have done uh, a, a listing of, of battles, they include everything from sieges to skirmishes to ambushes, massacres, punch-ups out the pub almost, I think, and they've got 700. So if there's 700 of those in Wales... You can see that there are thousands of these actions across Britain. Okay, so a pretty big number, basically. Yeah. Right, so um,
3: so we've just established there are a whole lot of battles that took place uh, across Britain. Uh, so another popular search engine question is, which parts of Britain have had the most battles? And that also tallies with, uh, with a direct question from one of our readers, Jan Scott, on Twitter, who asked specifically why there are so many battlefields in Yorkshire. So uh, identifying that there's an area there where there seems to be a lot of fighting. So perhaps you can just sort of try and tackle both those in, in, uh, in one answer.
4: Okay, well, I think that what you tend to find is that battles are fought somewhere that are strategically important. It might be that there is a river crossing there or that there is an important town nearby. I suppose in the Yorkshire case, of course, it's um, it's York, isn't it? And it's also got to be somewhere that people can get to. Um, So a lot of battles are fought off major routes. So the Great North Road. Which of course runs through Yorkshire, or the road that goes from London to Bristol, or what have you. And uh, she's right that there are eight registered battlefields in, in, in Yorkshire. And again, I've, I think the reason for this is that you've got, you know, you've got York, you've got the road, and of course it's not that far from Scotland. And uh, a number of those battles included, um, you know, invading Scottish armies as well. So that I think is, is the reason for Yorkshire. But if there's a big hot spot for battles, I would say that it's in Scotland, and it's the sort of thirty-five miles. From Edinburgh up to Stirling and the area around it. And of course, you know, we've got there, it's the, the, the capital of Scotland. Stirling is the gateway to the north of Scotland. And consequently, you know, with the crossing over the, um, the Forth there. So incredible number of battles fought in that area. Falkirk in the Wars of the in- Independence, and the Jacobite Wars, Wars in the Civil Wars, Socky Burn, when James III was overthrown, Stirling Bridge, and of course Bannockburn. So large number of battles in that area.
3: Okay, Uh, And moving on from that swiftly, what is the biggest battle that has taken place in British history, on British soil,
4: I guess? Well, if you listen to Tacitus, I suppose the answer uh, to that would be the battle that was fought somewhere on Watling Street, between the Romans and Boudicca, and he would have it that there were 110,000 people involved in that. But obviously, we're not too sure about the accuracy of those of those figures. If you um, don't take into account Tacitus, so I suppose in England it would be it would be Flodden, where 26,000 English took on up to 40,000 Scots. So that's up in in uh, Northumberland. Uh, In Scotland, it's probably a battle that isn't that well known called Pinky, which was part of that period of what we might call the rough wooing in the 1540s, where at least, I think, uh, 40,000 people fought. Wales, it's smaller. I think probably the biggest battle in Wales is St Fagans, which was in the Second Civil War, with maybe sort of 12,000, 13,000 people involved.
3: Okay. Uh, and another um, uh, big internet search question is what is the bloodiest battle that took place in British history? And uh, quite often this is chalked up as, uh, as Towton. I don't know if that's, uh,
4: if that's the right one. Well, it, 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 they do mention Towton. And, um, you know, some of the accounts at the time mention 28,000 uh, uh, people uh, killed on that day. I, frankly, am a bit sceptical about this number. Um, I think that, you know, the chroniclers quite often like to exaggerate in order to give something an, an importance. And I think that to lose what would have been three to four percent of the sort of fighting population in a day um, would have been somewhat difficult. I don't think you could have got that number of people there to fight in the first place. So if it isn't Toughton, um what is it? Well, again, I suppose you, it might be uh, Tacitus's battle on Watling Street or quite possibly, it was in fact Flodden, where I think the casualties on both the English and the Scottish side were well over um, ten thousand. Terrible figures when you think about it. Um, anyway, yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I, I suppose the, the problem here is generally is just it's very hard to establish numbers when uh, we're talking about days when there weren't, uh, you know, accurate statistics. Simply aren't a thing, are they?
4: No, they're not. I mean, what some of the accounts, or at least one of the accounts, claims that the heralds counted uh, twenty eight thousand dead. Well, we know that the dead. This is at Towton, and we know that the dead at Towton were scattered over twenty six square miles. So there is no way that the heralds could have ridden round, you know, with their with their uh, their notes there to gather up that that information. You know? So it's it, it's clearly not that they were counted at the time. It's it's, it's clearly a, a statement, perhaps without any kind of backing to it. I think.
3: Okay, uh, and just talking about Toton there, you've, you've helpfully anticipated a question that we we're going to talk about down the track from Paul Broadley on Twitter who asked whether there was any more that we could say about the uh, actual death toll on Towton. I think you've just you've just talked about that so we will move on. We'll move on to uh, Colin Stanton's question and Colin uh, very politely says hello, uh, in which UK battle did the smallest number of combatants defeat the largest number of combatants so I don't know if, uh, if what? I mean it's uh, on a similar vein to what we've just Talked about, but I don't know if there's any way of establishing it. Yeah,
4: it's a good, it's a good question. Um, again, I, I keep ending up going back to Watling Street, you know, and if, if um, the Roman army at uh, at, at Watling Street, this is in AD 60 or AD 61, if that was around about 10,000, Tacitus says that the um, opposition, so Boudicca's forces, were 100,000, and another source is 200,000. Well, in that case, you know, they're outnumbered uh, 10 to 1, so that's uh, quite a, a difference. Um, but I suppose if you move on from that to, to battles where we, we know a little bit more, perhaps actually it's the Battle of, of, um, of Solway Moss, which was fought in 1542 north of Carlisle, when a, a Scottish raiding army of, of 18,000 was sent packing by 3,000 English borderers. So there, are at six to one. It wasn't completely a formal battle. The borderers sort of did hit and run tactics. You might be interested to know that one of their, or two of their commanders were called Musgrave. So whether they are ancestors of yours and the spelling of the name has changed, I don't know. Are you a borderer? Well, I
3: mean, we, we, uh, I'm sure our listeners will be very interested in, in the genealogy of Musgrove and Musgrove. I think, that, you know, it is, they are border reavers, aren't they, the Musgroves? Yes, yes. I, you know, I like to think that, I, uh, that I've got some, some ancestry going on there. Um, but I think Musgrove actually means grove of mice, which uh, is slightly less, uh, slightly less <laughs> impressive, isn't it? Um,
4: yeah, but, six, but there we are. So that's six to one, isn't it? You know, yeah. 18. So maybe that's the answer to that, I think.
3: Yeah. Okay. Um, you, we've looked at this uh, just a little bit in your in your first answer, but uh, maybe try and try and answer it as uh, succinctly. Gary Beach on Twitter asked, "What actually constitutes a battle? What's the difference between a skirmish and and a and a and a battle?"
4: Well, I think if we go to the easiest thing to do, I suppose, is to go to historic England and see what they say about it. What's their registers say? And they say that a battle is something that's fought between wholly or largely formed bodies of men deployed under a formal command. So in other words, they're kind of drawn up to to fight. Whereas skirmishes tend to be fought by forces in a more irregular way, uh, especially between sort of troops that have been detached from the main army. There are, of course, exceptions to this, but I think it's a reasonably good uh, rule of thumb to, to use that as a definition.
3: Okay. Okay uh let's move on to uh ann ramon's uh question would you say the actual location of battlefields were selected uh by the defenders or the aggressors in a conflict um she she uh, posits that it's probably the defenders who were able to choose the terrain and uh and had most to lose i don't know if uh, if you can talk about about battlefield location
4: Oh, I, again, it's a, it's a rather annoying answer, but obviously it varies on, on the circumstances at the time. I mean, sometimes, you know, armies will just run into each other. I think that may well have happened, for example, at the Battle of Stoke, you know, the last battle of the of the Wars of the Roses when um, Henry the VII's army ran into the rebels up um, the Foss Way. Uh, sometimes uh, an army can be strategically on the offensive, but then take up a defensive position, if you see what I mean. Um, and uh, Sometimes, you know, you want a good defensive position, but it doesn't want to be too strong, because if you want to fight a battle and you've got the advantage of your your position, it's quite possible that the opposition will say, "Ah, ah, no chance, we're not fighting there. And actually, that happened at Naseby, you know, the great great victory of the New Model Army in the Civil War, where the parliamentarians wanted to force a battle, but they were in too strong a position. So they actually moved to a less strong position to cause the royalists to attack them
3: couple of questions that um, maybe will conflate. We've got Nick Boove on Twitter and uh, Jameson Shuck asking similar sort of questions. Nick asks, what's the earliest named battlefield we know uh, the location of? Um, And then Jameson Shuck asks, asks, do we know of any confirmed battlefield sites from Anglo-Saxon times? So uh, I suspect the answer may uh, run into each other there.
4: Yes, they will. It's the, it's really the same answer on this. And the, the the battle that we pretty sure we know where it was fought was Malden, which was in 991. And it was a battle fought between a, a Viking raiding force and a local force of English, I suppose, feared and, and militia under uh, uh, an alderman called Berthnoth. And we know where it was. And we have a good idea where it was. Inevitably, people will come up with their own interpretations of exactly where it was for. But the reason why we know where it was was that there was a, a remarkable poem that was written about it not that long afterwards. And it, it goes into all sorts of detail about the topography that we can then match up with the area around Malden itself in, in Essex.
3: And there's a, it's famously, there's a sort of a causeway involved, isn't there, where, uh, where sort of allows the, uh, the Vikings to come through.
4: Exactly, you know. So you kind of look for the causeway, and, uh, and and it gives you a little bit of a clue. And they talk about the river in that as well. Yeah. So that, that that's right. It was it, there's an example, I suppose, of a of an arranged battle, where the defenders pull back to enable the the attackers to come and fight them. Because I suppose if um, Berthoff hadn't defeated the uh, the Vikings there, or, or he he hadn't let them fight, they'd have just sailed off and fought somewhere else.
3: Mm, yeah. Okay. L- mm. Lots of lots of problems uh, with countering yeah. the the Viking threat at, at that yes. uh, at that time. Yeah. Um, moving on a bit uh, in time from that one, uh, Johnny H from Facebook asks, "Where do where do you believe the true Battle of Hastings site is, if not the current one?" And uh, and I think he's alluding there to uh, to some theories that have been posited recently that uh, the battle site may be elsewhere from where it's uh, traditionally deemed to be.
4: Well, I think that the traditional site is the is the actual site. Um, I think there's been a number of, uh, of, of suggestions over the years, you know, about where it was, including Time Team, who rather disingenuously suggested it was fought at a, a mini roundabout, quite famously. The papers had a field day with that. Although I, I have to say, had they turned their cameras round 180 degrees, they would have seen the Abbey, which is the traditional site, about 200 yards away. So. That's quite interesting, the way they chose to portray that. But no, I'm pretty, I'm, I'm pretty sure that the battle was fought on, on the, uh, the site where the abbey is. The sources at the time say this. You wonder why on earth you would build an abbey in such a daft location if it wasn't to mark something. And it's interesting that, that all the other uh, suggestions, they have to ignore that point, And they tend to sort of cherry pick bits of information out of the sources to support whatever conclusion they've come to so i'm i'm going pretty firmly as i think all historians do for the fact that the battle of hastings was fought where battle abbey is today
3: okay uh, next question and this is from Hilary Harrison uh, at Barnet Museum so um, uh, she, she has an understandable interest in the Battle of Barnet 1471 which she says was a really key battle in the Wars of the Roses uh, and um, she, she goes into quite a lot of detail about it but she says the location of the battle is still not certain but was definitely fought at Barnet and she asks why do you think the Battle of Barnet is so relatively unknown and underreported do you agree with that?
4: I do actually. I, I remember one of the first things that I did for your for your website was uh, I went to buy and asked people if they knew, you know, what had happened there in 1471. And actually, very few people did. Um, but I would say that a large number of our battles are relatively unknown. You know, if you went out and asked people in the street to name battles, I think it's very unlikely that other than Bosworth, uh, people would would name any other battle from the Wars of the of the Roses. But why is it unknown? Well, I think perhaps that. That's changing, to be honest. Um, and if you look at Tewkesbury, which was the other battle that was fought in 1471, you know that that battle is is, is now very much part of the definition of the town there. And they have a f- phenomenal medieval festival. They've got banners up in the summer of all the participants, their coats of arms, and something similar is now happening at Barnet. You know they have a a, a festival uh, that they've started to do, and they are starting to put the banners up. So I think it's uh, that the reason why it's not so well known, even locally, is that there wasn't that push until relatively recently to make it well known. But that has all changed now. And uh, I have high hopes for Barnett, actually.
3: okay, good stuff. Right. Louise Whittaker asks, What do you consider to be the most important British civil wars battle in aiding Oliver Cromwell's rise to
4: prominence? Well, that's uh, a very good question actually and uh, and it's one of the things we need to remember about battlefields that quite often you know many of our leaders, their rise to prominence was started on the battlefield. and the great example of that, as Louis Whitaker has said there is um, is Oliver Cromwell. and it, it, it's, there's sort of two sides to it I, m- I might say. One is that his victories on the on the battlefield, don't forget he started the Civil War as something of a, of a minor player, but each battle, you know, he seemed to rise in, in, in prominence. That, that, those victories gave him the opportunity to intervene in politics, but it also gave him the inclination to do, because being a Calvinist, you know, he saw God's will being shown by what happened. And so each of these victories, he would have seen them as evidence of God being sort of on his side so it is, it, these battles are important too, but I see them a bit like a ladder, really. You know, you're going up a ladder and if you miss your footing at any stage on that ladder, you're going to fall to the bottom again. And to a certain extent, the answer then is that every battle that Cromwell fought uh, was important. But I'll mention, I suppose, three very quickly. One is Winsby in 1643, and that's important because Cromwell was nearly killed at it. He was unhorsed and a, a, a cavalier officer could have actually killed him. But he decided to take him prisoner and then Cromwell was very quickly freed in, the, in the, the, the fight. But that could have been the end of Cromwell's career very easily. The next I would mention is Naseby. Naseby, 1645, such an important battle because I fear that that was the one that I feel that that's the one that, that won Parliament, the Civil War. No victory, no Cromwell. And finally, I think um, 3rd of, this, uh, of September, 1650, um, up at Dunbar where he defeated uh, the the, the Scots, against the odds, I should say. And that that, that bit of fighting, I think, had big effects, not just on Cromwell's career, but on the relationship of the constituent parts of what would become the United Kingdom later. So there we are.
3: Okay, brilliant. Right, uh, leaping on, uh, John at uh, Rock Gods on Twitter, the excellently named John at Rock Gods, uh, he tells us, uh, Hi, I live in Reading, which is relevant. Uh, and it then goes on to say, The Battle of Broad Street was apparently the only battle, and this is um, uh, his words, of the bloodless, glorious revolution. Uh, he tells us it used to be celebrated in the town in Reading, uh, and uh, he says uh, that uh, many residents uh, now would not be aware of it. So he wonders how. One would uh, how how one would go about raising the profile of this and other forgotten sites, which you have talked about a bit. But perhaps you could just tell us about this battle of Broad Street and a bit more about the uh, the revolution of uh, of sixteen eighty eight and whether it was indeed bloodless as uh, as John at Rock God's um, uh, suggests.
4: Well, it, it, it was relatively bloodless, although um, James II was incapacitated with a severe nosebleed for a couple of days. But I digressed there. Um, Well, what can we say about about 1688? I mean, we often say, don't we, that 1066 was the last time that this country was conquered by a by a foreign army, a foreign power. But we forget 1688. And however I think we spin it, the reality is that a Dutch army uh, landed down in the southwest. James II's English army, English Irish army, uh, lost faith in him. He lost faith in it. And it sort of melted away, and James lost his nerve and, and fled. Uh, but there was an attempt to block the Dutch advance upon London at Reading. Um, I, I think actually Daniel Defoe writes about it in one of his, one of his books. Uh, Daniel Defoe, who I think had been involved in the uh, in the Monmouth Rebellion uh, many years before, and it seems that the that the Royalists tried to to, to block the uh, the advancing Dutch at Reading. The locals. Didn't like the Royalist army. There seems to have been the fact that they may or may not have been Irish troops, and at that time there was a great fear of Irish Catholicism amongst at least part of the of the nation. Uh, so it looks as though the uh, the advancing Dutch had a bit of local support, and they were able to drive this uh, this force back. It's it's a skirmish, really. It's uh, it's not a, a major action. But how would we how would we uh, make it better known? Well, I suppose you know, you there are a number of things you could do, perhaps have a reenactment at the time of the uh of, of, of the battle. I think it was fought in December, as far as I remember. Uh, that, that battle, um, maybe have a memorial service in the local church. I think that's a, always a good thing to do. Oh, the other thing I would say, I, I do know at Reading fairly well, Broad Street, where it was fought. There's an enormous shopping mall there, great big thing, um, in, in the middle of it, and I'm sure it's got vacant shops. And if it doesn't now, I suspect it will do in, in the next year or so. And I would suggest actually um, get, getting onto the people that organise the, or, or run that shopping mall and say, can we have use of one of these these shops, you know, the windows of it or whatever, to put a bit of an exhibition in. So I think that's what I would do to raise the profile.
3: I mean, Reading famously also has a, a replica of the uh, Bayer Tapestry in its museum there, so I suppose they could uh, do a little uh, embroidery of the Battle of Broad Street. That
4: was they could, and, and uh, you're quite right. Um, you know, it always uh, work with uh, a local museum if uh, there's one around. I should have said that, really, and, uh, you know, that's happening, for example, at Barnet, where the local museum is doing great things in raising the profile of that battle. So, yes, indeed.
0: Still to come on the History Extra podcast...
4: If you've got an army of um, of maybe 15,000, 20,000 men camped out somewhere, you know, I start thinking about Glastonbury without the toilets, to be honest. That's the way I I, I think of it. So, whenever an army gets together and it stays together, uh, there's always that risk of tummy bugs and worse.
1: This episode is brought to you by Indeed.
2: Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone or video call. Start the process in minutes and switch therapists anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com historyextra history extra today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp slash history extra.
3: Okay, so uh, next question is from Pete Harrison at Big Pete 1973 on Twitter. And he asks, are there any, well, I'm going to stick into an extra word, major, are there any major battlefields that we are still not exactly sure of their location?
4: Well, I guess two come to mind straight away. One is, the one that I've been alluding to a lot in this, uh, in this, and that's um, Watling Street in AD60 8060 or 8061. But the other one, and one that's been in the news quite a bit over the last uh, year or so, is Brunnenburg, which was fought in, in 937. And it was the battle that really helped Athelstan of Wessex sort of consolidate his hold on England. But it may have also sort of stopped him from formally sort of uh, taking over the whole of Britain. Now, we're not absolutely sure where that is. Um, there have been suggestions that it's in Scotland, in Yorkshire and on the Wirral. And in fact, there have been finds on the Wirral, which do suggest that there was some form of battle at that, at that period fought there. Although whether that's Brunnenburg or something else, uh, I don't know. Perhaps I could say that uh, more recently, one battle where we didn't know where it was, was Bosworth. Um, Because the account that was given at the Visitor Centre and in the modern history books just didn't fit in with the landscape. Um, And about 10 years ago, there was a a major excavation, which the Battlefields Trust, Glenn Ford and Anne Curry, they they led it um, to try and work out actually where the the battlefield actually was. And through a number of things, you know, reconstructing the landscape, looking at place names, but also metal detecting, um, they found a large number ultimately of balls, of, 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 of cannonballs. And we know that cannons were used at, uh, at Bosworth and that helped them to locate actually where the battle is. I don't think that it goes far enough for us to say how it was fought or exactly who was where. I don't think the sources allow us to, to do that. But we do now, I think, have an idea of where it is. And it's perhaps about, you know, a mile and a half, two miles from the visitor centre.
3: Yeah, I, I remember the day when you dropped me an email about that, saying there'd been a, an exciting find of a, yeah. a, a boar's uh, badge that uh, obviously might link to to Richard III, and and uh, we had a, a chat about that, and then uh, leapt into action and started yeah. thinking about how we could cover Bosworth, and then uh, and then of course that all led to Richard III being found under the car park eventually, and uh, and all that followed after that. So
4: yeah, interesting it's, it's times. St- it did. It's done so much to, to raise interest, I think, in, in that period, you know. Yeah, the Boar badge, I mean, it was the original smoking gun, isn't it? If you wanted to find something on that battlefield, um, it would be a, a, a Boar badge in many ways. Although I should say that the leader of the, uh, of the Tudor army at that, or the vanguard of the Tudor army, who was John de Vere, Earl of, of um, Oxford, his badge was also a Boar. So who knows what we found there?
3: Okay, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Right, right staying, staying with Bosworth, uh, we've got a question from uh, Simon Marsh at Push of Pike 1642 on Twitter, uh, who asks, following the decision to allow development of part of Bosworth Battlefield, um, do you think that protection of battlefields in the UK is adequate, and what can we do to help preserve our rich battlefield
4: heritage? Well, it's a good question and an important question And I think you know what I'm going to say here, actually. I mean, I think that if a key part of one of our perhaps one of our top five most important battles in the country can be damaged in that way, clearly there's not adequate protection. I mean, let's think there are what there are 40 odd registered battlefields in this uh, in in, in this country. There are 400,000 registered buildings, you know, listed buildings. So, you know, we don't have a lot of these battlefields. And that one is is such an important one. And I think that, you know, there is an element of protection insofar as the importance of the battlefield has to be considered in the planning process. But it's all in the detail, isn't it? Because what it says is that, that major damage to a battlefield, if there's planning going on, should be wholly Exceptional, but minor damage. If there's minor damage, the people that are giving the planning consent have to weigh up on one side the damage and on the other the perceived benefit. Well, of course, that opens up all kinds of questions. What's minor damage? What's benefit? And so on and so on. And also, it, it, it opens up the threat to incremental damage that you could do a little bit of damage in order to un, under that planning uh, schedule, you know, a little bit of damage in order to do something. But then what if somebody else comes along, you know, three years down the line, does another little bit of damage, and so on and so on. And so I think that uh, we do have to look at the protection of battlefields a little bit more. But the main thing I think, and, and the Battlefields Trust is trying to do this, is to make sure that that people, not just the local local pop people, but the planners themselves, actually know what traces they've got that they're looking after. Do they 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 know the significance of these places? So I think it's a a question of really spreading the word and making sure people know what they've got there.
3: Okay. Good, thank you. A serious topic that, uh, that deserves serious consideration. Um, moving on to maybe a slightly lighter one from uh, Michelle Long, who uh, who tells us that she's been listening to all the everything we want to know series. So thank you for for listening, Michelle. And then uh, maybe a slightly tongue in cheek uh, tongue in cheek question, which is: uh, Were there some kind of portaloos dragged around uh, in, in, uh, behind the battlefield armies, or did they just pop behind the trees for a poo? So uh, a slightly scatological question, but uh, but there's probably something interesting to say about uh, uh, about logistics and planning for these sorts of battles.
4: Yeah, I mean, it's a fundamental question and we need to get to the bottom of it, really, don't we? I think that we need to bear in mind actually that up until the Boer War and including the Boer War, many more soldiers died of sickness than anything else. Many more died of sickness than, than wounds in, in battle and for the reason that, you know, there were no loos. So where do you go? And, you know, if you think about it, if you've got an army of, um, of maybe 15, 20,000 men camped out somewhere, you know, you, I start thinking about Glastonbury without the toilets, to be honest. That's the way I, I, I think of it. So whenever an army gets together and it stays together, uh, there's always that risk of tummy bugs and worse. You know, and, and let's let's think, you know, Henry V, our, 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 perhaps our greatest warrior king died not in battle, but he died of dysentery. John died of dysentery. William the Conqueror's army after, after Hastings was hit by, by, by dysentery. So it's a good question, really. It's, it, it's a key part of, I think, uh, campaigning uh, that, you know, you are going to get sickness. And so, you know, it, it, it's, uh, it's quite a serious point, really, isn't it?
3: Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and just thinking a little more about that, um, so that that question was from uh, from Michelle, um, who is a is a woman, I, I presume. Um, uh, most of the questions that we've had in are from men. I don't, I, is and and you know you've mentioned men a couple of times in in the in the course of the discussion about the armies. Uh, obviously, we assume uh, no doubt rightly that most of the um, the combatants in, in in British battles were men. But um, uh, do you get much uh, interest from women in the battle? fields now? And do you think more needs to be done to uh, to make it mess- less of a, a male-heavy subject, if it is a male-heavy subject?
2: Um,
4: I don't know to what extent it is, to be absolutely frank. I mean, the, the, the obviously the chair of the, of the Force Trust is uh, a, a woman, Professor Anne Curry, who is probably our greatest 15th century military historian in, in many ways. I reckon a number of those questions, I'm just thinking back about the ones you asked, quite a few of them were actually asked by women uh, to, to be honest, I think it is to a certain extent it is a a, a male dominated subject but you know when I think about the walks that I do etc you do get uh, a substantial number of um, of, of women who t- who turn up on it um and so I, I I suppose there are many things that people can be interested in and perhaps men do veer towards the the, the military Uh, To some extent. But I think battlefield history is about more than just the battlefields. It's more often about local history and people come into it because they're interested to know about the history that's all around where they live. So you know, for example, uh, when I do walks at Malden, you get an extremely diverse number of a group of people that come on it because they want to know about their about the history of their area. And so I think, and it's the same in when you um, when you when I think when you do tours and when, when one talks about battles, you know, you don't want necessarily to be doing great long tactical analysis of which which regiment was where, etc. You want to bring out the human story. And I think whatever your gender is, that's something that you can you can relate to.
3: Sure. Okay, and you're quite right. Actually, just looking back, there are quite a few women asking questions. I was uh, I was incorrect in that. Um, right, Jeffrey Carter asks, uh, "Where are all the bodies?" Which is a good question, isn't it? What happens to the bodies uh, after battles?
4: It is a good question, and um, you know we know about some battles. We know, for example. At, at Towton, that there were, were whether we presume there are a lot of um, of, of, uh, of dead, that they were originally buried in pits on the middle of the of the battlefield. Remains, little bits of bone, etc., have been have been found. And famously at Towton Hall, a, a while back, that's a, a sort of large house on the fringe of the battlefield. When they were doing some work, they uncovered a number of skeletons um, showing battle injuries, and it's taught us an awful lot about the nature of combat and also about the health of the people that that fought. There does seem to have been quite often an an attempt, certainly in in medieval times and beyond, to give um, uh, people some form of Christian burial. I suppose it's do as you would be done by. And so I think quite often um, bodies would be moved either at the time or later to some sanctified site. Uh, other times, I, I think they were even left behind. I, I do believe that uh, when they went back, the Norman army went back over the Battle Abbey site after Hastings, a year later, that the unburied um, uh, English dead were still there, you know, mouldering and being eaten by, you know, wolves or, or whatever.
3: Hmm, OK. Uh, that's quite a disquieting thought, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah um okay a couple uh that bring us more up to date uh two questions on related theme uh from happy space uk on twitter and andy hill 105 on twitter uh could you recommend a good battlefield for families to visit with kids do you think they're a good place for family outing uh and similarly which uh, which uk battlefields would you recommend uh for those starting out in battlefield studies
4: yeah, our happy space. That's a sort of well-being charity, as far as I know, and uh, and I think that there is just a general benefit, isn't there, of getting out into the into the countryside for whatever reason. And uh, in fact, a lot of the of the battlefields are, notwithstanding the terrible things that happened on them, rather pleasant places to walk around and in, and enjoy. So, just getting out and about, I think, is uh, is, a, is a good thing. In terms of uh, where would I recommend you go? Well, I always think go for your local battlefield. Um, because again as i say it relates to the history of the area that you're in and so therefore you know it it, it it's more than just looking at the at the military history of what happened there so that's uh, the first thing i would say and and I, and I i think that nearly everybody in this country um lives within about 30 minutes drive of a, of a battlefield there are exceptions but in general times there is normally one that one could go to and and ponder. Um, Particularly good ones, well, there are a number around the country where there are interesting visitor centres. So, I mean, I I never think that a battlefield is just a field, you know, with a bit of interpretation, etc. It can be so much more than that. But it does help if there's something that you can see that might, for example, help you understand what happened. And so uh, Battle itself, but Hastings, very, very Good visitor centre there now. It's very well explained, etc., and it's kind of relevant, I think, to up to, to our history. Bosworth is the uh, is, is is similar in in that way, and Culloden is just just phenomenal. Um, I don't know whether it's a particularly fun day out going to to Culloden, uh, but I think that if anybody's going to go to one. Visitor centre related to a battle in in this country. I would always say Coludon because it gets across the true nature of what civil war is about, the suffering of the people that were involved in that, the impact of that battle beyond just the battlefield. You know, and it's a bit of a of a a grim look round, but I think that uh, it's it's well worth doing it because it's so easy. You know, and 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 sometimes I'm I'm perhaps guilty of this. You know, you get quite excited by battles. You know, and you go and look at battle reenactments, and it all looks very glamorous. But of course, the real nature of these things, and, uh, you know, I, I have very little experience of this other than a few trips to, to Bosnia, is that warfare and civil warfare is an utter unmitigated disaster. It's not something to be celebrated, but it needs to be understood, doesn't it? So I, I, would, um, I, would, I would certainly give a big shout out to Culloden. Long way to go, but beautiful drive up there, really.
3: Mm, and a yeah, beautiful part of the world. And they've got that amazing, uh, I, I've, I presume they've still got it, that amazing sort of 360 immersive experience at the uh, at the battlefield centre there.
4: They do. There's a warning on the outside, you know, that uh, it's not service to, suitable to those with a, a nervous disposition. And I have to say, you know, I'm a veteran of countless screenings of Saving Private Ryan, but I find that... some. Um, that that three hundred and sixty surround incredibly moving. Actually, it's uh, it's the most extraordinary thing because you're right in the middle of it, aren't you? You know, and it's all going on around you, and it can never give you a, a feeling of what it was like, but it gives you a, a sense, I think, of the the terror, you know, of that kind of uh, of, of activity.
3: Yeah. And just thinking more about visitor centres, there is that one where the visitor centre in a phone box, isn't there? Which one is that?
4: Can you? Yeah, that's Flodden. Flodden, of course. Uh, yeah, Flodden. Flodden. Yes. It was funny at that that year. I think that um, that Bannockburn got several million to build a, a visitor centre. Flodden spent pounds uh, to purchase that, <laughs> to purchase the the phone box. Um, and um, uh, it's there, you know. And you go in, and it's got some leaflets and some Wi-Fi, etc. Flodden's uh a good battlefield to visit because really thanks to um local bloke i think clive Hannon baker that, that that's there it, that it's and also uh, lord joycey who is the, the sort of landowner they've opened up all kinds of permissive paths and you can go around and there are good um information boards there's relatively easy for people in wheelchairs to um access it and uh it's very unchanged as well so you will real, really get a sense of what happened at Flodden and why it happened, just by looking at the, uh, at the at the landscape there.
3: Yeah, I'm. I'm sure we've got a lot of good Flodden content on the History Extra website for people who want to yeah. uh, to remind themselves of of that battle uh, up there in the in the border region. Um, Right, let's move on. John Dixon, uh, you kind of talked about this a bit, but you might have an answer. Uh, John Dixon wants to know uh, if you've got any ideas for promoting and engaging the interest uh, of the wider public in battlefields at a a time when, in John's words, the interest in our history uh, seems to be on the wane. And he asks, how can we bring to life a walk through muddy fields and give people the enthusiasm to learn more? So I don't know if you've got anything further to add. You have just sort of tackled that a bit, but...
4: Well, I... I, I don't know whether interest in our history is on the way now I, I I would disagree with that actually I, I think that it's on the up and I'm sure you would too oh, yeah. um, given given what you do so what's important I think is that that you build on that interest and you don't turn people off and so if you're going to do a, a walk through a muddy field you know you you, you kind of need to assess the people that you're taking around you know what what is it that they're hoping to get out of it you know and and to me if you're taking a general group, around you've got to tell a story and if you're enthusiastic about it that often rubs up on them as well but you tell the human story you know do they and and think do they need to know for example that x regiment was here or y regiment was there or do they want to try and put themselves in the Boots, or if they had them, of the people that were doing the fighting. So I think you, you know, it's a it's a two way dialogue with the with with the group, and um, you know, just give them what you think that 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 they need. And, it, and people don't remember stuff; right? they they really don't, and and that's fine. But if they can come away thinking that they've been somewhere that that matters, and they've got one or two bits of information that they carry with them, and a, a sort of feeling that in the future. They want to go to other places like that or read up on it. I think you've done your job, really.
3: Hmm. OK. Uh, just a couple more questions. Uh, a really good one. This one's so good that i failed to write the name of the person who asked it, um, which apologies for that. But do foreign visitors to the UK value our heritage and sacred places, uh, hallowed grounds, as the Americans say, more than we do? Um, and if so, uh, how can we uh, do more to raise awareness?
4: OK, yeah. Uh, hallowed ground is an interesting um, Phrase there isn't it? Uh, you know, if you go to the states, you know their battlefields are incredibly well looked after, aren't they? You know, and you go to somewhere like Gettysburg, and that you, you you can barely walk anywhere without seeing a memorial to somebody or some regiment, etc. Um, and clearly, uh, our treatment of the say the Civil War battles in this country in in England, Scotland, Wales, and Ireland is, is somewhat different to that. And I think that, they, that the thing is that for the Americans, the uh, the American Civil War was, if I can put it this way, their national cavalry. That's where they suffered their heaviest losses. And of course, it's had a huge impact upon their history and their and, and their society. Uh, for us, I would say that our that, that our national cavalry was particularly the First World War. And of course, if you go over to uh, Flanders or you go to Ypres or in the Second World War, you go to somewhere like um, Normandy or, or, or whatever, there, there's great interest. And of course, with the brilliant work of the Commonwealth War Graves Commission, the the, the areas are extremely well looked after. Um, and I suppose it's easier in, in that sense, because they're people that are almost, they're not quite, but they're almost within living memory, aren't they? They are ancestors that we know. Well, of course, our ancestors fought it, whether it's Flodden or it's Tenshmore or it's Naseby or it's Barnet. you know, our ancestors are there, but we don't really know who they are. So we lose that personal connection and i think that to a certain extent what we do with our battlefields in this country whilst we should always be there they are places of memorial of course they are but it's very much the sort of heritage interest that i think comes to the fore but we do value our history we do value our military history but i think our focus perhaps tends to be where the british army did most of its heavy fighting and that's the reason for that that difference if that makes sense
3: And you've pointed up, you know, a minor issue with this podcast here. We talked about British battlefields and battles, i.e., things that took place in Britain. Uh, Obviously, we've overlooked completely all the stuff that's happened uh, elsewhere, but uh, that was due to uh, just uh, having to having to keep keep a focus on things. Um, Yes. Right. Last, uh, last question, which w- just came in very late. Uh, and again, I didn't get the name. Maybe you did, Julian. Uh, has the weather uh, affected British battles and <laughs> battlefields?
4: It's a, a really good question, actually, and I'm glad it came in. I saw it. It was by some bloke called um, Sean Rabbit. Um, I, I seem to remember the name stuck in my mind actually but it was it was a very very good question and, and it's particularly relevant because the day we were recording this you know you go back to 1944 and um the weather forecasts were trying to work out whether it was safe to try and undertake the crossing over to normandy but yes of course it has had a huge impact on um on battles in, in this country and you know when you know the weather and the landscape they're they're linked aren't they and and you know i could come up with a list as as, as long as your arm on this but i mentioned just just one or two so for example at northampton in 1460 the lancastrians had lots of guns there but they couldn't fire because it all got wet um at uh, barnet we've mentioned barnet before huge confusion because there was thick fog and it ended up actually with part of the lancastrian army fighting each other at Towton. There was a huge blizzard and and a high wind, which meant that all the Lancastrian arrows fell short. So that had quite an impact. You go through to the Civil Wars, Nantwich, 1644. uh, The Royalist army got split in two because there was a sudden uh, thaw and the bridge between the two sides of their their armies had been quite sort of uh, snowy. The bridge that gathered their two armies together, it got swept away, which caused them no end of problems. And I guess I could finish with perhaps my favourite, And that's Mortimer's Cross in 1461 when it was fought in the winter of 1461. And it was incredibly cold, there was ice in the air, and they had, as a result of that, um, an effect which is known as a parhelion, which is where you see like three suns in the sky. And if we believe the chroniclers, uh, the Lancastrians were kind of filled with woe and dismay at this, but the Yorkists under the future Edward IV, he said, no, no, this is evidence that the Holy Trinity is on our side. And inspired by this, the Yorkists went on and won the battle. I should say that what I know about Edward IV suggests that the Holy Trinity was very rarely to the forefront of his mind. So maybe somebody whispered it in his ear or they added it later. But an interesting thing there. So good question. And it's absolutely true. The weather is... um, Uh, quite uh, fundamental in so many of our battles.
3: Okay, we have got to the end of our list. So Julian, thank you so much for taking us on a tour of uh, British battlefields. I've never, I've never yet been on an actual guided tour with you on a British battlefields, but it feels like uh, uh, we've we've had a taste of it here. And I'm sure uh, if uh, if uh, opportunity arises for anybody to go on a tour with with Julian Humphreys, then uh, I think you would uh, uh, agree that it will probably be good to do and an interesting and engaging experience. Um, uh, just a, a quick reminder that we do have loads of. Uh, material that julian's written on battlefields and battles on our website history extra covering you know flood and clod and bosworth all sorts of things like that and we had a a, a podcast which you may well be interested in in, in the everything you want to know series uh, which we did a few weeks ago uh, from professor mark stoyle talking about the civil wars which would obviously um uh, uh, link into this quite nicely um julian remind me what's the website of the battlefields yes. trust
4: So it's www.battlefieldstrust.com. And on there, there's a resource centre and you've got information about um, all of the the, the major battles in England and Scotland. And also there's a a sort of education page with materials you can download, either by teachers or by parents that want to give um, their kids something to do. So there's there's stuff for everybody on that website. Good stuff.
0: Julian Humphries, thank you very much. Thank you. That was Julian Humphreys. If you found today's podcast interesting, then please do drop us a line with ideas of topics and historians that you'd like us to include in the series. You can do that on our social media channels at History Extra. Thanks for listening. This podcast was produced by Ben Hewitt and Jack Bateman. We'll be back tomorrow when I'll be speaking to Helen McCarthy about the history of working mothers.